Hello everyone, this is Yulei Strate. Today I'm hosting Yuri van Halen. Yuri is the managing partner Asia Pacific for Prison Group and the CEO and founder of Build Blocks Group, both consultancies in the digital blockchain arena. Yuri's name is not only associated with blockchain, but also with AI, digital identity, and the Internet of Things. His knowledge in these interconnected industries spans three continents, and he is extremely excited to share it with us on the Skills for Mars podcast. Join us as we dive into the opportunities that span out of the digital industry, the jobs that are available now, and others that will be created in the future, the skills that needed to be successful. If you do find these types of conversations useful, you can support the podcast by subscribing to it. To access the video podcast and subscribe for free to my YouTube channel, go to youtube.com, type in Skills for Mars, and hit the subscribe button. Alternatively, you can go to my website, yuleistrata.com forward slash Skills for Mars, and click the YouTube Confirm Your Subscription button. And now I give you Yuri van Halen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Skills for Mars podcast. Today, I have Yuri van Halen with me. He's the managing partner, Asia Pacific for Prism Group, and the founder and the CEO for BuildBlocks in Asia. Yuri, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yuri, you have AI, the Internet of Things, blockchain, and digital identity connected to you and your career and your life. How did you make this choice of career? You started in something different. Yeah. Oil and gas, commercial side, analytics and all of that. So how did you choose this? Yeah, okay. That's a little bit of an evolution. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm a Dutch national uh, currently living in Singapore. So welcome to Singapore. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, so essentially uh, I did my studies like international business and management in uh, in the Netherlands and various different universities uh, across Europe. And then I decided to, uh, to join the system after my studies because I, I worked hard for it. Uh, got the uh, distinctive grades and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for entering the system, earning some money, get some experience. So let's do this. Um, so I was studying in, in Norway by the time and I worked for Statoil there, now Equinor in the oil and gas industry. And that kind of really got me thinking about like my long-term future. Um, and from there I was like, well, oil and gas is interesting. Um, but I actually want to make like a sidestep into renewables. So I went to China and I studied like uh, almost a year in Beijing, Chinese Mandarin. And then I finished that off with uh, working at Siemens Wind Power in Shanghai. So I was like, bam, this is the, the thing. Like I'm going to do renewable energy and it's going to serve the world in a better way than oil and gas does. Um, but yeah, I was a little bit like disillusioned from that experience because... Like really quickly, like when you build um, a windmill, then essentially like building, manufacturing the turbine and a generator costs a lot of emissions. True. So in the whole like life cycle of things like end to end, it's actually not that sustainable. It's more of a political tool. So I was like, okay, wind power is not going to cut it either. Let me go back to oil and gas because that's where I can make a change, right? Uh, and that still will dominate the energy production and consumption for like many decades ahead. So I went back to the Netherlands, uh, started in the graduate program for mm -hmm. Shell. Um, I was in the Netherlands at the headquarters for half a year. Then I went to Norway, back to the Netherlands. And then I ended up in Eastern Russia on this island north of Japan called Sakhalin. 
I was there for about three years and yeah, I've seen quite a, quite a bit of, um, yeah, that, that political business, uh, career. And at some point, um, yeah, it wasn't that appealing to me anymore to just work in a confined space, like four walls around you and looking at the same thing every day, uh, working with the same people every day, uh, working with the same bureaucracy, um, and the same, um, constraints yeah. and it was just a little bit too slow moving for me. Um, I've always been an entrepreneur and things that I I've set up myself, like next to my study and, 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 and such. So I decided to uh, quit and it was quite an important step in my, my life, but it was a very easy decision actually, because I knew that the life out there, like living life to my own standards, being location independent, being independent of, um, yeah, basically the people that I need to work with. And I choose the people that I want to work with, uh, that serves me very well. So I decided to move into the digital technology mm -hmm. space and that's indeed where IOT, AI, blockchain, and digital identity come in. So I was like, okay, uh, where do I picture myself in 20 years? And I would encourage like all the young listeners to do the exercise. Like, where are you in 20 years from now? Where are you 10 years from now? Where are you five years from now? And then I was basically finding out that digital technology is going to dominate our lives and also the way that we work. Um, so yeah, basically IOT, in my opinion, uh, is going to basically take all the data from the um, yeah, physical world into the digital world. And then AI will do like pattern recognition, machine learning, make decisions based on that. Uh, blockchain will be kind of like, like a foundation layer for trust between untrusted parties and digital identity. You need that to then participate in a new autonomous economy, right? So I'm kind of living the life of the future, I, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for the introduction. So what... What do Prism and Build Blocks do and how do they connect with the companies that you work for? Yeah, so specifically on, uh, on Prism Group, um, so I'm the managing partner for Asian Pacific. So we do economics consultancy with a team of uh, like Harvard trained PhD economists and Nobel Prize winners as well. Um, so like very strong economics uh, skill pool. Mm -hmm. And we are essentially advising uh, and doing economic audits on economic systems of blockchain startups specifically, mm -hmm. but also of large uh, enterprises that are building sort of consortia. Uh, and we're doing like, uh, yeah, the, the governance mapping there and basically finding out who are all the stakeholders in these networks and how is every stakeholder sort of incentivized to show value generating behavior and not like game the system okay. or feel like they don't have enough power to contribute to the system in a like monopoly where I will not say a name, but where a large retail shop has contractors and subcontractors that basically don't have any power. They're basically being ruled by the king. Mm -hmm. Um, that's yeah, that, that actually they all participate in this like new distributed network. Yeah. Does it work? Does it catch up? Is yeah. It, the uh, market it, seems to be evolving. Yeah. But Blockchain it's blockchain market for, for sure. It's slow, but it's meant to be slow because if you look at the internet, it took like uh, 10 years to get to 90% adoption. Mm -hmm. And in 1995, everybody thought that you'd be crazy when you talk about the internet and now we book our ride sharing or we even rent our house out or a room out. Who would have thought? Um, so basically, 
um, yeah, it, it, it is happening. Like a lot of enterprises are investing a lot of money into it and governments as well. And there's, of course, the startups that get the whole thing going. So, uh, no, certainly it is mm -hmm. happening, but small steps because for this to really, yeah, like it's, it's a radical change of the system, how we've operated for a long time in, in a centralized manner. Um, so to get to 90% adoption, it will take much longer than 10 years. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure that, did you choose Asia Pacific with a certain purpose? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I went to China initially because I, I, I kind of had the conviction that China would uh, take over like the leading spot in the world mm -hmm. and that I wanted to contribute like renewable, sustainable energy to that economy. Uh, what I like about Asia is the more collectivistic way of thinking. Uh, more so than in the Western world where it's very egocentric, like me, myself and I, and that's what I care about. Or like, yeah, like short term uh, political or corporate agendas. Um, so, yeah, I, I do see that a lot of the economic shift is happening east and I, I just wanted to be part of it. And it's very vibrant. There's a lot of opportunities mm -hmm. here. Um, whereas back home in Europe, I feel there's a lot of bureaucracy and it's just a little bit more difficult. It's, it's slower. To change. Yeah. Is there a real change between US, Europe and Asia in terms of adoption, in terms of where they are in all these four categories coming from Europe? Yeah. I'm sure you know because you just moved 2 years ago. Yeah. All we hear is Asia is gaining ground. These markets in Asia, they're way more evolved. Uh way better programmers, way more STEM skills in Asia. Is it mm. how how would you compare? Asia, yeah. US, and Europe, because you've worked in all three. Yeah, and still work in mm -hmm. all three, um, but being based in, in Asia specifically. Um, no, I'd say, um, well, certainly like America, like the US um, and Europe, uh, they've kind of set, set the stage of like all the development that happened in the last few decades. But you always see that cycles like return and now it's shifting east again. So the east is really quickly catching up. Um, so I'd say in Asia, there's this strong appetite for growth. Mm -hmm. If you look at a country like Vietnam, like so many people are extremely excited about learning English, setting up their own companies and feeling the freedom to, yeah, to get out there and make a change. Um, and I see that like across Asia. Um, I think the difficulty in Asia is obviously that there's so many people and you need some degree of central control. Um, in, in Europe, I think it's very, uh, bureaucratic, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit too much for my liking. Um, but it's just personal yeah. uh, opinion. Um, and in the United States, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, like, like great professors, great companies that have like come through that system. But what I'm seeing is that there's a lot of monopolized, um, yeah, companies out there. Um, so when you look at privacy of data, like uh, I feel that that's, it's quite a concern. Um, and yeah, that's why I'm very encouraged to look at, um, how can we, yeah, bring like the power of data back to, to the people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel that like in terms of, yeah, innovative projects, um, and how governments, uh, especially here in Singapore, look at this uh, new fintech evolution okay. it's uh, very embracive and, and are they very doing active. anything different than what we are doing in europe or the us is doing well there's very clear regulation okay. uh, first of all when it comes to setting up a blockchain company or an mm -hmm. exchange 
So the the Monetary Authority of Singapore set like very clear regulations that um, and guidelines. Uh, so that actually attracts a lot of entrepreneurs to set up shop here in Singapore, okay. uh, including myself, because I was like, I want to yeah, be part of this innovative wave, but I want to know what I can expect mm-hmm. in the country where I'd be moving to. True. And for me, Singapore was uh, yeah, by far the number one in, in all of these criteria that I kind of set for myself. And it's great weather here too, right? True. So, yeah. True. <laughs> and it's quite impressive the way they adopt technology and how lean and clean they've made some of the processing considering how old the country is in the end so it's uh, quite impressive yep (laughs) yeah uh now ai and blockchain pretty much we've been through that everyone knows what it is and all of that internet of things and digital identity now internet of things and i told you about this before i feel it's a bit of a catchphrase Hmm. yeah is there anything different to the Internet of Things right now rather than what it means to manufacture sensors or measurement devices, collect data, analyze data, and monitor what's happening with the devices? Yeah. Is there something more to IoT than this? Yeah, so why I am focusing on IoT, AI, blockchain, mm-hmm. and digital identity is that I believe they're building blocks um, serving the same purpose, moving towards that more autonomous economy, industry 4.0, if you will, right? So when you look at um, IoT, why is that not like as widely adopted as as it could? Is I think there's a lot of um, concern about trust, like trusting the data mm-hmm. that is actually going through all these smart meters and sensors. And, and that's why I believe that a trustless system like a blockchain technology actually will help in alleviating some of those mm-hmm. concerns. Um, so I would see them as like all part of the same token, if you will. Okay. Um, and that's why I'm so excited about uh, blockchain technology and the power or the potential power that decentralized distributed networks have and governance models. Um, I think that would really catalyze further development in IoT, in AI, and make people um, yeah, more receptive to adopting that technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, data is the new oil. So whatever you get from like smart meters or sensors, like looking at electrical cars, why is why are we not all driving electrical cars yet? Like the infrastructure is not fully there. There's still a lot of, yeah, of course, industry interest in keeping the the carbon emissions going mm-hmm. um but yeah it, it will become more and more an integral part of of the sustainable agendas sustainable development goals so it's definitely moving into that direction um and yeah i think that internet of things is actually going to be the enabler for us to run a more autonomous um economy where internet of things electrical cars uh, actually do make more sense there was some talk. So I, I worked for a company building data centers, right? Yep. And uh, Internet of Things started to be in the lingo around 2016, 2017, right? But there was a discussion at that point, which I no longer hear, that uh, basically what we want to do, right? We have, we have all of these smart devices, like our phones, so you have uh, wireless in the refrigerator, you have yep. cooking machines, uh, vacuum cleaners, whatever. And there's spare power and spare energy, right, and, and processing power in those devices. Yep. So at some point there was word about 
building an intern, a distributed internet, right? By using this technology and also there were discussions about actually the 5G network working through this. Is, is it still valid? Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then if you look at 5G, there's a lot of concerns I hear in Europe, like, uh, with the fact that there's every two or 300 meters, there's an antenna yeah. and who's tapping into all that data. So I think trust, it's, it's going back to trust, okay. like, and back to privacy of your data. Like, yeah, I mean, there's certain social media platforms that I wouldn't use anymore because my data is being abused. So yeah, like nowadays people become more aware of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that companies have a responsibility to, um, yeah, to give that, that power back to the user because it's, it's very sensitive, um, data. So yeah. Can it happen? Can that be digital identity and really making sure that your data is your data? Can it happen with blockchain or is it more regulation driven? Um, yeah, well, like. It will take time. Okay. Like, um, it will be like very small steps, mm -hmm. incremental steps, uh, experimental, experimental steps, a lot of failures. Um, so I, I yeah, but, it, but it's just a matter of, of time before a few governments say, this is the way we run and run our mm -hmm. country. And then yeah, it's the same as like running a business, like, like more efficient technology is always going to win because it's going to lead to a better bottom line result. Right. And it's the same with like the new working, like machines and robots will take over mm -hmm. from human capacity when human capacity is being overrun by what a computer can do. Exactly. When it's routine and uh, any, yeah, any machine can recognize a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. This is the dystopian view, right? And everyone is, shouting that, hey, we will be displaced. But where is, because you are seeing the other side as well, you, you are seeing what's being automated, but you also see what kind of jobs are created. So if we talk about AI, blockchain, digital identity, internet of things, yeah. what do you see in that space? Are more jobs being created? created? Is the, the job market growing? Yeah, oh, for sure. Like there's so many countries uh, banking big on AI. Mm -hmm. uh, Singapore is one of them, like deep tech. Um, like more in like 2017, it was the old blockchain there, blockchain there, then it became AI. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're kind of all like, like, uh, working alongside. Um, so yeah, like, like there's a lot of jobs in those fields right now because you still need human beings to program the systems that are required and set the moral and ethical standards mm -hmm. for that to work in a sustainable way. Um, and like at the time, like, I mean, maybe you, you know the term singularity, yep. but yeah, it, it, it may happen, may not happen, but it, it probably will happen that a computer will become that smart and maybe irreversibly um, advanced that we can't really switch it off uh, or that it will machine learn itself so quickly that, yeah, like, who are we? Like, we're, we're, we're kind of slow, right? Like, like Elon Musk is saying, we're already robots. Yes. We're very slow robots because we still work with our fingers. Um, so you have Neuralink, for example, mm -hmm. that I already know what you're going to say right now. Like, so, yeah, we still need human beings to design those systems in a moral and ethical way. And then obviously hope that, yeah, like the evil ways of adopting new exponential technology can be filtered out. Yeah. Is it only programmers right now in terms of skills that are needed or do you see something else as well? 
Yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, like uh, you need, yeah, you need you need the whole spectrum of mm-hmm. you need lawyers. Like you need to set a legal framework in which this is actually conducive to grow. Um, you need business people to actually make this a use case that investors are going to invest in, in order for that to really be able to grow, right? Um, so I still think you need like like a broader subset of um, yeah of, of different jobs serving that um, that growth, um, yeah. And and I think that that those jobs will will keep on like being relevant in the future as well. Um, That's another question yeah, that I wanted to point. ask. Up to, yeah. up to because at some point I can imagine that there will be so up to the point where it becomes repetitive for us. Yeah. I can see that we have to do it as humans because it's still creative, but to the point where we find routine, yeah. then it can be taken over. But I guess we are talking 20, 30, 50? I think much earlier. Well, I guess much earlier? Yeah. You mean days or years? Years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean days either. Um, no, I think like, uh, yeah, like quoting a few CEOs, mm-hmm. um, without naming names, but uh, some of them have said like in, in five or 10 years, 60% of our workforce is not anymore required because of those routine yes. tasks, right? So at the end of the day, when it's more cost efficient, technology will take over. That's just a simple rule of economics. Yeah. True, but it's also, I'm, I'm, I'm working with companies that are trying to go digital and it's extremely hard because to implement an ERP that will actually collect your data, because yeah. that's what we have right now, right? Uh, it, the people just, it's its hard to get them to key in accurate information. Yeah. They get distracted, they lose track. Oh, if it's a two or a three, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So you really get inaccurate data and inconsistency in, in, in putting data in the system. Mm-hmm. And then they barely work. Mm. And research actually shows that they get, the companies are being, at this point, slowed down a lot by implementing ERP. So it was faster before. Yeah. And now usually double systems and all of that because they need to check and everything, they, they become less and less. Compliance. I spoke with someone at some point in blockchain and then she, and maybe you'll hear the podcast with, with Yuri, and then she threw up uh, an, an idea that maybe with blockchain, uh, we don't we can bypass hmm. going digital via ERPs and all of that, just collecting data. Mm-hmm. Is it happening? Can that work? Well, at the end of the day, like, uh, I mean, blockchain uh, as a technology, like the premise of it is that it's much safer because you basically like distribute um, the processing power of the transactions or whatever, like data flow you're managing on the blockchain. Um, So you have, yeah, in in traditional systems, you have this like single point of failure, right? Where Facebook gets hacked or British Airways and there's one entry and the whole database is exposed. So now you'd be distributing that over many thousands or even millions of computers. So it, it gets safer in, in the premise of it. Okay. It's still teething problems. And like whatever you put into the blockchain is in principle irreversible. So mm-hmm. you cannot take it back. So I think when you look at ERP systems, I think that systems like will become much more integrated. Mm-hmm. So that like say that on the top of the supply chain a company, I worked in supply chain management for a long time. Um, at the top of the supply chain, you would have the yeah the organization that's sourcing products or services, all the way through like contractors and subcontractors, and then you actually get all of those players uh, connected to a distributed system, and they can actually fully track where does the product really come yep. from, 
Um, and, and yeah, a lot of the times, like you don't really know where it comes from. You have no clue. And that's why cases turned up where child labor essentially yeah. comes in at like the, the furthest, like south of the chain, uh, or like organic food. Is it really organic? Like, what are we buying? So I think blockchain really comes in there to create the to transparency. transparency. Yeah. And to track what's, uh, what's happening. Do you think that because this feels blockchain and, and AI and going digital, it, it comes through consultants, through people like you that are educating others. Do you think that at this point, at some point, companies should start educating their own employees hmm. on how this works and yeah. why this is good? And yeah. how can they do that? Well, are I there, would... Is there anything in place? Can they? Are there resources where they can send their employees? Because in the end, this is the future, right? And if they want to implement blockchain in, in, in purchasing, yeah. then someone needs to know what blockchain is doing yeah well okay blockchain is one specific mm -hmm. example um but i think in general you could go one step um uh like earlier in the mm -hmm. process education so where do you start like is the current education system actually ready to serve the demands of the future mm -hmm. and my answer is no it's not is it the same in asia europe and us unprepared well, no, I, I, I mean, let's say it this way. Like, I think that a lot of the curricula are kind of standardized. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of supposed to know a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this to prepare you for becoming a lawyer or a banker. And so, yeah, I think that we need to radically, maybe not radically because that's not going to work, uh, but incrementally, but put a little bit of pace mm -hmm. on it. Uh, move towards like a more uh, yeah, practical skills based education system mm -hmm. um, and also focusing more on creativity, emotional intelligence. I think these are like the skill sets that the future needs more so than calculus, which a computer is better at or like routine tasks where a computer will certainly outpace us. Right. So I think it already needs to change on the education side uh, on blockchain. I know that there is, uh, I mean, we, we've we been designing, for example, the blockchain course for MIT. Okay. Um, so, yeah, essentially through such channels, people have an access point into blockchain technology and understanding what it is. And with that, hopefully create a, a broader way of thinking mm -hmm. that they can implement within their uh, working yeah, cycle. Yeah. yeah. Is education right now more for programmers so they know how to code things, to either build or, or change things in the, in the blockchain mm -hmm. and AI and everything? Or do you have, let's say, beginner classes for um, uh, HR? Right? Yeah. How, can, how, how can blockchain be used in, uh, in human resources, yeah. usually for, for security and, and yeah, just checking data of employees and so on? Is, is there yeah. something on that or it's still more focused on yeah. the building blocks? So I'd say that you need to be uh, like ideally more multifaceted. Mm -hmm. So if you look at a blockchain engineer, I wouldn't like call a blockchain engineer a coder mm -hmm. or only a coder. Okay. Because um, in order to implement what you're working on, you actually need to find support within the organization. So you need to also understand the business problems. So when I talk about a blockchain engineer, it's actually more like a solution architect. Okay. Somebody that defines a problem and finds a solution and is technically capable of um, coding that solution, 
but continuously going back to the business and say, does this actually meet. solve the problem mm -hmm. um, and meet the requirements? Yeah. So more problem solvers and logical thinkers. I think sometimes people that are educated at universities are thinking a little bit too complex about how to solve a problem where I think we need to keep it simple. We're living in a world that's like overloaded by data and information. Uh, like our brains are exploding uh, and you don't really know what to trust, uh, what to believe. A lot of negative news. It's going to influence the way that you see the world, blah, blah, blah. So I don't watch the news, mm -hmm. just a conscious decision. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that that's an important part of it uh, in, uh, in the transition, yeah. Can someone that doesn't come from an engineering or a STEM kind of, right, more, more technical kind of background, can someone start working in these fields, even though they, they feel like very technical? Yeah. If they want to start in, in here, no matter what age they have, what can they do? Can they get online classes? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, like in blockchain specifically? Blockchain, or, AI. Yeah. In the end, is well, look, look, at, look at Elon Musk. I mean, uh, <laughs> like the Tesla stock has just gone through the roof. Um, I, I missed the whole journey. I, I wasn't aware of that it was going all so quick to the moon. I'm not sure we're all geniuses, but yeah. yeah. No, but Elon Musk for me is really a role model who is um, yeah, challenging contemporary ways of thinking and, and looking at like the further future mm -hmm. and being able to, to really work that. Um, so yeah, like uh, like like yeah, he is he's an example of uh, of that. Like you don't need an education necessarily. Like he's not going to look at your grades. He's not going to look at oh you have done uh, law, so you become a lawyer in my company. Like uh, it, it's more the soft skills and the vision that you have and the capabilities you can uh, develop while yeah. being there, right? Yeah. So I have a I have a big asks for you because this will be seen by a lot of HR people, right? Hmm. My, my network is mostly HR. Yep. But then we still have this issue in HR and recruitment yep. that we hire people that have the skills and experience in what, in the job that we want to hire, right? Yep. It's very hard for companies nowadays to look at soft skills, important core, but soft skills, right? Yep. And not look at the technical skills at the university they graduated and really asking for these degrees, really asking for the certifications. So if you were <laughs> to advise companies how to make the shift, what kind of people would you tell them to hire and what to look for? Yeah. So well, they can switch to digital. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think um, the younger generations are much more apt when it comes to understanding and using technology. Like, I mean, I'm in my 30s now and I look at the people in their early 20s and yeah, they, they can easily outpace some of the things that I am not really focused on anymore when it comes to digital, right? Um, so I think it goes really quick. And what I, I think is very important for companies is to, to have like a sounding board with people from the younger generation, but maybe different... Um, subsets like people in their 40s people in their 30s people in their 20s and kind of see like how these people envision the world and how these people envision the company in like 10 or 20 years time where they work at and i think there's a like a wealth of data and, and a wealth of information that hr departments can get through just these simple conversations um 
and and also in decision making like you cannot expect that um yeah like people that have worked 30 to 40 years for one company they're in their 60s that they're going to make the necessary changes in corporate decision making that are now required for like 20 30 years ahead it's very short-term thinking Usually it's very short-term thinking because yeah. you have investors and you have shareholders. stakeholders and shareholders who really yeah. go quarter to quarter, not even year to year. So um, It's a challenge. It is. And even a bigger challenge for HR is how do you retain young people mm-hmm. like myself or, or the 20 years? Like, because like I've read research that that like people from like Generation Y they switch companies like on average every two or three years. They need a new challenge or they need a new environment. So, and I'm not really seeing, but I might be. I mean, I might not be fully informed because I'm out of the corporate world for a while now, uh, not being on, on the on the paycheck there. Um, but that yeah, that that is. Um, not fully landing yet with HR departments either, mm-hmm. that um, you need to understand what drives young people and yeah, and, 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 and cater for them. Because I've seen a lot of young people leave in the different companies where I worked at. A lot of money has been investing mm-hmm. in these young people. And then, yeah, they're not being addressed in the right way and they feel they want a different environment. So it's very costly. It is very costly and... What I feel also, also is that we are looking at employment only in one direction, right? I employ you, you leave, you're never my employee. No. But actually, maybe next year you go to a comp- competitor and then uh, five years later you go somewhere else and maybe at some point you will come back. Come back. Yeah. And um, maybe while you are the competitor, you're only used 50% of your resources and maybe for the other 50%, we can work on a project together or whatever. Yeah. But I feel that companies are still afraid, as you said, about data being lost, competition, knowing it, anyone in the industry. So they are still reluctant to do these kind of changes. But it's slowly moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a generational it, shift. It's definitely <laughs> a generational shift. And, yeah. it's, and it is going through towards the gig economy, which you so much love. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, I'm... You come from the Netherlands. I live right now in the Netherlands. This, yeah. this is it, right? The gig okay. economy is, I think the, the Netherlands was the first to adopt and mm. it's really good at doing it. Mm. As we were discussing, people have three, four jobs. They work project-based. Yeah. Is this shift happening in Asia as well? Because in, in, in the US, yeah. I know it. it is happening. Yeah. yeah Bottom yeah. line, they started it. Some countries adopt it faster, but is it happening in Asia as well? Yeah, well, it depends on on on, on the country. Um, when I look at like the Southeast Asian, mm-hmm. like really quickly growing markets, then there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurs there uh, that, that want to go their own way. Um, a lot of uh, women, uh, actually. Okay. Like when I go to Vietnam and I work from different cafes, I see a lot of young women working like at the computer um, and and kind of like building their own company or their own dream, right? And that's very encouraging. Um, so I'm seeing that. Um, but yeah, there's also more s- systemic um, economies, of course, in uh, in uh, in Asia that are more like okay, just like you got to work hard, you got to study hard, only focus on your studies, get good grades. And then you land this job and then you're in the system 
and then you serve the system. Uh, and I think that's still required, mm -hmm. but more and more the shift will go to, as you said, um, people working on projects, like maybe as a freelancer for different companies, because I think in the future, companies don't need full-time employees for certain positions. They just need maybe eight hours a week. Yep. They need somebody to work on a specific task. Yep. And then you can replicate that task in another company or do another task at another company. And that, that's what I said earlier, like the multifaceted skill set. I think you would need to maybe look more holistically in the mm -hmm. future, like what I'm doing here, what impact does that really have on the grander scheme of things? Um, so I think it's more project-related work um, that the younger generations will work on um, than just to say, okay, you have this one specific job profile and that's what you're going to do for the next 10 years. Yeah. It's, it's hard to pit someone down for 10 years right now, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you can buy everybody with a good salary nowadays still. So <laughs> uh, You can for two or three years until they realize that, uh, hey, I don't like my boss. I don't like the company. I don't like the four walls. Yeah. Maybe I will learn more if I move, which is correct and it's true. Yeah, but you need to be very disciplined. So that's one thing that I want to add. Like it's very romanticized mm -hmm. to do your own thing, work from a cafe, work from the beach or whatever will you. But it's it's hard work. Like you don't have any more like a company paying you for sure and making failures that yes. don't affect your own bottom line. You got to be very disciplined and skip watching a movie in the morning. Like you have the time for it, but no, you actually don't. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to be strict about it. Yeah. And I think one other thing, even so discipline is one. And I, you work more as a freelancer than you work for a company. Yeah. That's for sure. And then you have to be, you have multiple skills because you're doing your own accounting. You have to do sales. You have to meet with people. You have to do the job that you are doing. Yeah. So you are gaining more skills or you have to use more skills. Yeah, unless you hire. But that's, yeah, I mean, you need uh, yes. a certain revenue so, stream or investment for that. Yeah. That's what I want. So I wanted to ask yeah. if you were to give an advice to the young generation, yep. is it start directly with freelancing or hmm. get hired in a company, hmm. learn the ropes, learn yeah. the lingo because you will use it in your company as well. Yeah. No, I, I'm learn uh, discipline and then. No, I mean, um, different models. True. Depends on the job, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, situation dependent. But if I look at my own career, I'm very grateful for the big companies that I worked for. Uh, first of all, because, um, yeah, I've learned a lot in those environments. Uh, they've invested a lot into my my learning and training. Um, and, and I've given a lot back in, in terms of the results that I've been generating. But um, at the same time, at some point, I, I kind of felt like my learning curve was kind of stalling. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say it's also good to have some sort of a financial cushion, like to build up some savings before you do entrepreneurship. But at the same time, when you have a great idea, yeah, don't wait. Like if you have that great idea and you have that passion, mm -hmm. go for it. Like follow your passion, follow your heart, follow your dream. Um, because like at some point you might build a family and then there's no way that your partners can say, okay, you just do your entrepreneurial thing. No, we need a salary in, into the family, right? So I think it's, that's why I said for young people, do that exercise. Look at 20 years from now, mm -hmm. do I have a wife or like children? 
Do I have a dog? Like go specific. Like how does your world look like? Where do I work? Mm -hmm. Do I travel a lot or not? Um, yeah, do I do different jobs? Am I an entrepreneur? Do I want to be retired in, in 20 years time? What do I do to get there? 10 years from now, five years from now, up until like, what do I do tomorrow to get there? Yeah. And that's of course a changing target. Like nobody right now knows how you live in 20 years, but at least you have a vision. If you don't have that vision, I believe that you're being lived by other people and other people set the constraints for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you set your own constraints and your own preferences, you can be the director of your own life. Otherwise, people will do that for you. Oh, definitely. Yeah. For sure. Because, yeah. I mean, companies need resources. Other people need uh, support from uh, the various who are willing to help. So you will be driven for sure. Yeah. Um, and then maybe it would be good for them to review plans, as you said, because you have a certain mindset when you are 19 or 20, when you're just graduating, yeah. finishing school. I feel that I got smarter around 30, 30 something, mm -hmm. way different than 23, 25, when I thought I knew the world. Yeah. Which was not true. Mm -hmm. Right? Around 30, it started to make more sense and to put things together yeah. and realize where I am. So, true. Looking back and reanalyzing, yeah. it helps. For sure. <laughs> no, you get more realistic and also understanding how politics yes. work. Like, I mean, it's not like, oh, I have this idea and everybody is going to follow exactly how I want to do it. No, you need to make compromises and you need to be strategic and tactical about how you get there with all your stakeholders. And and, and that's where I think um, a career with sort of a free learning curve um, is actually helpful. Um, but just know that if you kind of procrastinate or you get too comfortable with being in a certain job, that you may not anymore get out of it and that you kind of just, you're like 45 and you're like, oh, I'm kind of stuck, you know? That usually happens around 40, 40, 40 something. I, yeah. I see it. And I need that salary. I cannot like step out anymore. Like I need this. And then you're locked in. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about being locked in. And this is my last, uh, this is my last question. Cause I know yeah. you, you have another appointment. Um, any advice for people who want to change their career when they're 40, 45, mm. and maybe they didn't work in the digital field. Yeah. Most of us like, grew up with maybe a paid phone, yeah. not even a, not even a, a smartphones didn't exist, right? Yeah. Uh, so 40, 45, they might not be so digitalized, yeah. but they realize that this is the future and they want to move into digital. Yeah. Any advice for those who want to shift and make it their career because they still yep. have 30, 40 years ahead. Yeah. Well, I'd say that they have, say, 20 years of experience mm -hmm. working for a company. I think that most successful entrepreneurs uh, are actually in their late 30s, beginning 40s because they really know where the problems reside. A lot of young entrepreneurs kind of miss the point. They think it is like that and then test it and fail. Mm -hmm. But fair enough. I think it's the best learning curve that you can get. Like failing a few times and having gone through like the deepest downs. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I'm, I'm again it teaches, quoting. It teaches you things. Yeah. I'm again quoting Elon Musk. Like entrepreneurship, he says, is like looking into the abyss while chewing on glass. <laughs> and it's like that. You it don't is. have any direction on where to go exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's painful at times. Like, yeah, you kind of lost like a lot of times, right? So you got to get the ship back into the right direction. 
Um, so 40s to, to 50s or like beginning or, or mid 40s, I think that's a great time to make that career shift. Because if you wait another five or 10 years, you're going to be made redundant or obsolete. Um, so yeah, talk to maybe the younger generation and look at like, where are they focusing their time and resources on? And, and like training yourself and educating yourself to become competitive and use all that wealth of experience that you've built to then uh, implement that with maybe the next generation. Yeah. Thank you very much. I promise this was my, I have, I have way more, uh, but I promise <laughs> this was my last. <laughs> well, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we can, con we can continue. And, yeah. uh, even if I'm not in Singapore, then uh, do this uh, at some point uh, online as we get feedback and people have questions and all of that, yeah. then uh, maybe we can uh, start discussing about uh, those items. Happy to do so. And I think next time the world has changed already a little bit and we'll have a slightly different look at, at the world. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think this is a dynamic um paradigm shift and um yeah gotta stay true. on top of things yeah true but it is possible so that's uh that's the message it is possible yeah. they can still learn there's there's job market is growing in yeah. this field so there's space for everyone if you want to make the shift i think that if there's a strong will there's always a way true and for some people in some situations it takes longer than in other situations but a strong will is going to get you there because you also transcend that energy to other people. They'll be like, oh, there was this like a lot of energy, passion, motivation from that one. Ah, that was Julia. Like, I remember, like, she's very enthusiastic about future of work. Like, maybe you want to hire her to kind of set a strategy for a company because she's so passionate about it and she knows like so many different stories that that's helpful. So, yeah, I think that people will remember you if you have a strong will and if you're determined and if you're passionate about it. Sure. If you're not passionate, people don't feel the energy, they'll forget about you. It, it, they do. It, it does happen. This yeah. is how it works. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is a big debate on uh, on this in personality, right? Yeah. Uh, so being more open to experience and yeah. more energetic it is considered now the G of intelligence, the P of personality, right? Emotional intelligence, yes. right? Yes. And then, yeah. but it is a big debate because they feel that you might leave other people out who are maybe more introvert and maybe we don't know how to assess these types of personality better than others. And and yeah. that's a, that's a spine. Diversity the, and inclusion. Yes. For sure. No, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So we need to be careful with, uh, with uh, things like that because we don't really understand, uh, humans extremely well yeah. we think we do but um complicated it's complicated we are complicated beings but yeah yeah we're well, getting yeah, trying to understand yourself exactly. that's already very difficult motivation at times, right? ambition getting there getting results showing that you fail and learn and yeah. get up and do it again those are definitely skills that are going to help yeah whenever yeah and also being humble and not like arrogant in how you do things i think that also creates a better image and um yeah kind of i think fire doing that you create more trust and more authenticity as well true yeah. and more Which space lasts. for learning yes exactly so i think that the short-term aggressive hardcore model of like um yeah just pushing your way through i think yeah for the short term that might work but in the long term you will face the consequences of that true. so it will go more towards the long-term sustainable way of, of doing things um, and not burning bridges along the way. And I think that's very helpful. And it changes yeah. towards that. Yeah. The, the world of work is changing. New generation doesn't like that anymore. It's, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is nice. I love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Same here. Yuri, yeah. thank you so much for today. Thanks for taking the time. I know you had a crazy day with NUS and other meetings and now yeah. we're moving to the next. So thank you very much for doing this. Well, thank you for doing this and uh, keep it going. I love to stay in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>